Welcome to Alter Everything, a podcast about data science and analytics culture. We have an exciting episode in store for you today with Alteryx's own Chief Data and Analytics Officer, Alan Jacobson, as our guest host. Alan is joined by Terry Hickey, Chief Analytics Officer at CIBC in Canada. Let's get started. Okay, so hi, Terry. I'm Alan Jacobson. I'm the Chief Data and Analytic Officer here at Alteryx, and I am really excited to get to be on with you today. For our guests, Terry Hickey is the Senior Vice President and Chief Analytics Officer at CIBC and has been with CIBC for, I think, a bit over a year, coming from IBM, where you're the Vice President leading work with Watson AI. So Terry, can you tell us a little bit about your role at CIBC and what you currently are focused on? Sure. Uh, so first of all, thank you so much for uh, inviting me. Uh, super happy to talk about the things that we're doing here at CIBC. So we uh, embarked on our journey, just as you said, over about a year ago. And uh, one of the first things that we did was we, we, we noticed that we were lacking an artificial intelligence or AI strategy or advanced analytics strategy for the business. And we, we went away and we worked with parts of the business to come up with a plan that said, what are we going to do with, with artificial intelligence for the bank? And we came up with these, with these tenants because what we were trying to figure out was, when will we use AI? When won't we use AI? How will we use AI? And what, the, what are the guiding principles behind it? And we came up with four guiding principles. We came up with uh, purposeful, impactful, transparent, and coordinated. And those were the things that we uh, then described to the rest of the organization to say, look, here's how we're going to do it. Our purpose is to help the corporation achieve our corporate goals by augmenting our employees as well. So it's not about removing employees from our business. It's about helping them do their jobs better uh, and, and, and becoming more effective in, in, hopeful, in hope of deepening the, relationship, deepening the relationships that we have with our clients. We've been working on a number of uh, other initiatives inside the organization. One of them is been, is, uh, has been called Milo, and Milo is a, is a tool that we've built that allows us to help the rest of our data scientists inside the organization know what data assets exist within our business. So we have over 120 different data sources within the organization, and it's very difficult for people to find data. And, and I like, you know, you hear people often talk about drowning in data. We literally uh, could do that if it was possible here. <laughs> so we've, we've, got, we've got so much information that people just don't know where to go. So uh, the way that we think of Milo is it's like Google for data inside of our organization. You go to milo.cibc.com. You then type in what you're looking for, and it will come back with data sources. It'll come back with scripts. It'll come back with. Uh, people that have worked on particular projects that are associated with that particular uh, thing that you're looking for, which enables them to be able to find that piece of information that they might not have otherwise have been able to find. So those are just two of the initiatives that we've got ongoing today that are going to fundamentally change the way in which analytics is, is, is uh, by the, you know, fundamentally change the way analytics is performed within CIBC. Uh, it's, th those are great examples. And so it sounds like you're fairly early on the journey. How has the business been doing in terms of adopting um, this digital transformation journey? I, I always like to think of digital transformation as 
two very different words, the digital part, the AI and all that, that the, the fun data science stuff that you, you and I get to play with. But there's, there's also that, that really hard word called, called transformation. Um, and there's, there's a bit of change management that frequently goes on. How, how is the business uh, adapting to, to these new tools and, and this, this new uh, mission that, that you're now on? So the thing that uh, we've been doing, because it's so new, we've tried to take a little bit different approach uh, because of where we are on the adoption curve. So I like to talk to my team and my business parts or partners about snacks, not meals. So our goal is to find projects that are smaller in size, maybe you know eight to 10 weeks in duration, and they might cost us internally between 100,000 and $300,000 so that we can actually execute them and create this machine, if you will, that we can execute on so that we know what muscles we need to exercise as we get more complex and we get into the bigger things that we might work on a year from now. So that, that model or that approach has served us extremely well. And the other part that we've attached to, the, to this uh, execution strategy, if you will, is that everything that we do has an associated business case. So we're not out doing POCs for the sake of doing POCs. What we're doing is we're saying, look, we're going to execute this work. It's going to have this business case attached to it. It's going to run. It's going to go into production. And we're going to either grow our revenue. We're going to grow our profit. We're going to reduce our cost. Or we're going to uh, reduce the risk that uh, we, we associate with that particular domain or, or with the organization. And, and getting the business to buy in when, it's, when they're going to see tangible results has really allowed them to jump uh, both feet or head first in, if you will, uh, with the rest of everything that we're doing. So they're super, super excited. In fact, we have over 130 different use cases that we've come up with inside the organization within the past nine months, and we'll have executed on 40 of them within the next three months. Oh, that's great stuff. With with ROI, it sounds like, because you had business cases on them. That's right. Every single one will have an ROI associated with it. Now, that's not to say that every single one of them has been successful. In fact, you know, there's been a few of them where we've, we've failed. We had, a, we had a hypothesis. That hypothesis didn't come true, and we failed. And, and, and when you're doing a project that's $100,000 or $300,000 or 8 to 10 weeks, you can, you can fail. If we took a different approach where we were only doing three projects in a year and the projects were going to be $5 million each, you can believe that there is almost no appetite within the organization to fail at those kinds of things. But because it's so much smaller and we are getting real learnings out of this, we celebrate the failure, we learn from it, and we move quickly onto the next project. Yeah, certainly learning to fail fast as a, as a tenant of many, many uh, world-class data science teams. That's, that, that, that's great. What kind of percentages do you think your batting average is right now? We've heard, I've heard all sorts of different percentages about what what uh, percent of data science projects um, result in failure or, or that succeed? I'm curious. Uh, uh, um, so I would say out of the out of the 47 or so that we'll execute this year. I know my goal was to get to 40. Um, I, I would say that we would probably have failed at about three of them, and we 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 we. We learned something on one of them early enough that we were able to change the trajectory. So I wouldn't necessarily call that a failure. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, just a little bit under 10%, which to me is like a that's, super good number. Yeah, that's phenomenal. So so you talk about the team that's uh, working on creating these snacks. I love your snack, not meals uh, uh, wording. 
how how large is your data science team? Can you talk a little bit about what the composition, the makeup, the skills of of the team are, and, and the size? Sure. So, the, the as in most large organizations, so CIBC is a you know just about a fifty thousand person organization, and there's roughly a thousand people inside the organization that do something associated with analytics. And I use that term fairly loosely because uh, no one likes to be known as a report writer. So even if you're writing reports, you're still concerned inside analytics. So we have approximately uh, 150 people on my team that are focused on curating data assets. Uh, they're running, they're, they're writing insights or creating insights and dashboards for the organization, or they're focused on data science and machine learning. So I'd say out of my 150 people, it's kind of like a third, a third, a third across those different, uh, different across those three different areas. Got it. And I saw recently you you just posted a, a, a new position, a VP of analytics position, where if I got it right, I think you were looking for someone, no small task, to change Canadian banking. That's right. Yeah. Can you tell me? Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah. No. I, there's no. Uh, you know. I, there's nothing but high expectations for this role for sure. Uh, so we we I believe that uh, banking is one of those areas that can greatly benefit from analytics. When we look at what organizations like Netflix or other organizations like that that have so much data about their clients that they're able to create insights, you know, people like me or whatever it happens to be. I believe as as financial institutions, we have a tremendous amount of information uh, about our clients that, sh- that we should be able to leverage, not to provide them with marketing or those kinds of things, but to personalize the experiences and to deepen our, the relationships that we've got with our clients to make sure that we're giving them or providing them with the highest service possible to help them achieve the goals that they have. And I think that 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 that's the kind of the thinking that we're trying to change our team uh, to have now, and 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 I believe if we were able to accomplish that, that that we that we truly would change uh, Canadian Canadian banking for sure. That sounds amazing. So let me um, uh, switch to a different uh, level of position. So that's that's the VP position. I'm sure you also are, are have have data scientists that are just starting out in their career. Do you have any tips for, for, for our new data science scientists or newly minted data scientists that are, that are just starting out? So we, we, we actually do quite a bit with, uh, with a number of schools across uh, Canada and some in the U S actually. And, and we're trying to grow those relationships because we're trying to find those talented people while they're still in school before they hit the street looking for a job, we're, we're actively out there looking in their programs. We're sponsoring programs. We're sponsoring uh, analytics days where they can come and spend time with us. So I would say that uh, look for opportunities to work with organizations in your co-op, in co-ops uh, in, or in the summer where you can come in and learn about uh, not just the tools, because you can learn a lot about the tools inside your inside uh, programs or inside schools. But I think that what you need to do or what they need to be doing is look, learning about the business and being able to translate what the businesses are saying 
into what the, the what the data science language is, whatever that happens, whatever tool that you're trying to use, uh, Alteryx as an example, of course, to be able to execute on. I think that that's a skill that you really have to learn when you get into the into the real world versus in school, where a lot of that work is done for you already. Not great advice. So as you build your team, can you share a bit on your views around diversity and inclusion? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, one of the things that I hold very high is is exactly what you were talking about, diversity and inclusion. And I stood up in front of my team, I guess it was about nine months ago, and I came up with some tenants and, and said, look, these are the, I'm not going to wait for HR and come by and tell me that I should be uh, diverse and inclusive. I said, here's the things that I'm going to stand up in front of 400 people and say, here's what I'm going to do. I'm not going to have a HR program that's going to dictate it. I'm going to proactively go out here because if I don't change it, then other people won't change it. So I want to make sure that we're all uh, aligned in, in um, creating an environment that's diverse and inclusive. So some of the examples of, of that are, um, I have said that all resumes, as we bring them into the organization, will be scrubbed uh, for gender. So we won't know the gender of the people that we're, that we're interviewing with. We are also uh, trying to minimize and simplify job postings before they go out because certain, um, certain people are attracted to certain roles the way that they are written. And, and we have found that if we can simplify it, we have a better chance of getting a more cross section of people responding to it uh, versus you know, one, one more dominant uh, gender or, or skill set. So, oh, I love that. Were, were there were there certain words that you found? Or? Yeah, so there's certain words. There's a couple of tools in the market that you can go online and look at. And there's certain words where uh, when certain when certain people look at it, they look at it and it could be a more uh, male dominant word uh, versus a uh, female dominant word. So we tried to find those words and we tried to rem either remove them or neutralize them. Um, so that people didn't read, didn't think that they were reading into it that they were that we were looking for a male or a female because we're not. I mean, we're obviously looking for the best candidate for that particular role. Uh, and there's there's not just one word. There's there's hundreds of words that uh, that we that we look for uh, in the resumes that we're uh, or in the sorry in the job postings that we're putting out. Interesting. So, can you tell me a little bit about your background? I saw that um, I think in your time at IBM, uh, probably working on Watson, you. You received a patent on, if I'm not mistaken, blockwise extraction of document metadata. Curious to hear a little bit more about that and kind of how you transition from uh, a more technical job into into this one. Yeah, so I've had a fairly diverse background uh, going back a you know a couple of uh, a couple of decades, and and it didn't start out necessarily technical in the analytics space. I've worked in contact centers, I've worked in digital. I've worked in financial services and large outsourcing. So I've kind of done a number of different things. And um, I remember sitting with one of my uh, uh, leaders at IBM and she was asking me, so, you know, what's next? Like, you've done a lot. What do you want to do next? And I distinctly remember telling her that I wanted to change the world. And she said, well, Terry, here at IBM, you, you've got one of the best opportunities to be able to go off and do that. And that was when I was given the opportunity to lead AI and uh, sorry a to lead AI and advanced analytics for IBM Global Services around the world. 
And I was literally working with 5,000, 6,000 people around the world trying to help them as we were integrating and deploying solutions for the for IBM's clients around the world. So it kind of gave me that background that I was looking for. As part of that, one of the opportunities that I had was with my team to create this solution. At the time, we internally dubbed it Smart Pages, where we were working on the ability, and, and, and IBM has since then made it into a full product solution, but what it allowed you to do was to scan a document with no context about what that document was, and it would then extract the relevant pieces of information from that document. So it would recognize that, oh, I've just scanned an invoice, and on invoices I need these five following or 12 following kinds of pieces of information to be able to do something with. It encapsulated it into uh, a JSON uh, message and then allowed a downstream process, whether it was a, a robot or you know some you know some tool like that, to be able to go and execute. You know maybe it was pay that bill or 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 something along those lines. So that's where the blockwise extraction came into play, where we were looking for patterns around how were things like addresses or how did words relate to each other without knowing what those words were in advance of each other. And it's really interesting. Uh, and, and what really comes to home is when we, we knew we had something that was special, that we were able to take documents that were in Italian or German or French that we were able to put in front of the machine and in front of people, and it was able to extract those pieces of information, even though it didn't understand the words on the page, it knew that this word and that word, because of their proximity to each other, because of you know one was caps and one was underlined or whatever it happened to be, that they were related to each other. So that's what that particular patent was, uh, was uh, for. And there were, uh, I believe, six other patents as part of that uh, product that we had created as well. Yeah, I love that moment where you 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 see it actually come to life and work. Um, we we frequently call that the thrill of solving, and it sounds like you certainly had had that moment in in that example. Oh, absolutely! It's that's a it's a great feeling to look at this thing that you've created, and it, and it's and it's it's not that it's thinking on its own, but it almost looks or it seems like it is. It was fantastic. So when you look out over the horizon, are there any kind of new technologies that you think will be the next big thing, whether it's for banking or AI in general? I think that there's a lot of technologies that we already have today that we haven't grasped the entire uh, functionality of inside of our own organizations. So I'm sure that there will be new technologies that come over the next little while. Uh, but I think that we still haven't gotten our hands around what we need to be doing with what we've got. You know, whether yeah, I totally it, agree. Whether it's natural language processing or visual recognition, I think that those 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 environments or those capabilities will continue to expand. But we're only scraping the surface as it relates to those uh, today. Uh, I do think that um, there will be transformational things that come along in the future. And, it, and the ones that are going to make the biggest impact are the ones that are tailored specifically for a particular industry. So, you know, we've, we've seen uh, large vendors, whether it's IBM, Microsoft, Google, et cetera, create solutions that are trying to be generic, that can cut across domains 
And I think that uh, some of the adoption of technology that we've seen related to artificial intelligence or machine learning haven't taken off as quickly as they could have had those organizations built tools or products that solved a specific problem in banking or solved a particular problem in credit cards or something along those lines. I think when we start seeing more organizations coming out with those purpose-built tools, we're going to see a, an exponential growth in the capabilities in, in artificial intelligence and advanced analytics as, as well. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think we see that uh, from, from our vantage point as well. So when you think about kind of your, your day, are, are, there, are there any things that you do during the day, either either at work or outside of work, that you view as being some of the keys to your success? I think uh, I think <laughs> it's a good question. Uh, I think that having some sense of reality is important, or perspective is important. I think I know some some people talk about uh, the, the term life work-life balance has kind of gone away, but I've always strived to have some sort of work-life balance in, in, in my, throughout my entire career, you know, coaching my kids in, in a number of different sports as they were growing up. And I think that uh, taking time off and disconnecting is important to be able to get the, the, that new breath of fresh air, if you will, or re, reinvigorate yourself to come up with the, the next great idea. So I think that uh, the way that I do that today is by getting on my bicycle and riding for, you know, 50 kilometers or 100 kilometers, uh, something like that. 100 kilometers? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I mean, I just got back from oh I just got back from France uh, three, four weeks ago where I rode 700 kilometers in some days as part of a, uh, a, a charity ride for veterans with post-traumatic stress disorder. So this is that's really how I clear oh, my amazing. head. Get on a bike, you head out into the, into the wild, so to speak. And the ideas just they just start flowing, and it's it's a it's such a liberating, such a liberating feeling. Okay, and you you didn't wire yourself up with GPS and spend the next week doing analytics on it. No, well, I do all that too. So I've got a computer <laughs> that I attach to my bike. So don't worry, I got all that covered. <laughs> uh, that's great. So so we we like to have a bit of time for what we call community picks, and so we'd love to know, and I think our listeners would love to to learn of. Uh, anything that you're doing or enjoy doing in kind of the technology, nonprofit, leadership space could be from books, anything. Yeah, absolutely. So as I mentioned, uh, bike riding is a big one for me. We just got back from France where we were commemorating the 75th anniversary of D-Day. And uh, so that was a that's a that was a big one for me from a riding perspective. Uh, I sit on the board of a couple of not-for-profits, one uh, called Renaissance, which, which deals with people who have uh, addiction problems, whether it's alcohol or drugs. Um, there's a big problem uh, around the world, as you, as you know, from those kinds of things. And then one that we're involved in from a CIBC perspective is, is, is involved in stopping human trafficking. Human trafficking is a major problem that occurs around the world. And we all assume that it's something... That is, you know, it's someone from overseas that gets brought to our country and put in, indentured into uh, the sex trade. In reality, most of the people that are put into this are uh, 13 to 16 year old girls that come from every walk of life across our country. They could be daughters of lawyers or policemen or police women. Uh, they could be bankers. It, it is non-discriminatory. And we're working a lot with 
with organizations, the police and other organizations, to try and stop human trafficking because of the impact it's having on on the on the general public at whole. And what a great cause to support. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So I'd be curious uh, if people wanted to get involved in one of those orgs, where where might they find out more about it? So all of them uh, have an associated website. Uh, you can go to renaissance.ca. You can go to woundedwarriorcanada.ca. Uh, and on, uh, on uh, for human trafficking, you can you can look at Covenant House. There's one other one that we're working on from a CIBC perspective, and we're, we've kind of coined it uh, Data for Good. And I know there are organizations out there that have a similar kind of title. But that's where the people on my team and across the CIBC organization are looking for organizations where we can go and help them. So we've got, I say that my team, and it's not just my team, it's obviously people with the analytic skills that are listening to our podcast today, that I believe that our teams have superpowers. They are the modern day superheroes that can fundamentally make a difference for organizations. And and I want my team and, and their people or the people on their teams, I want them to go and make a difference in, in for other not-for-profits. So what we're doing is we're actively going around looking for organizations that are looking for uh, people that have analytical skills. They've got all this data, but they don't know what to do with it. They don't know who their donors are. They don't know where they live. They don't know how to get a hold of them. They don't know all these kinds of things. And if we can come in with a team of four or five people and sit with them for an afternoon and give them these insights that are going to help them make a difference for whatever cause that they're doing, uh, we think that that's absolutely well worth it. And that's one of the big things that we've got uh, our team working on this year right now. Yeah, certainly. Analytics can be fun, but analytics with purpose is uh, at a totally different level. That's uh, great to that's hear. Right. Great to hear you and, and your team are, are, are focused on that. So um, we'll end with something maybe a little bit lighter. Can you tell us something that maybe uh, very few people or maybe nobody knows about you? Um, I would say... Uh, I would say that one of the things that most people don't know is that I grew up all over the world. So I, I lived in Venezuela. I've lived in a couple of different parts of Spain. I've lived in a couple of different parts in Switzerland. I lived in the UK for a bit. So I've, I've, as a child, I had never lived in the same house. Up actually, up until like till the time I got married, I had never lived in the same house for more than two years from the time I was born. Uh, so we were constantly on the move, and no, I, you know, my parents weren't hunted by police or anything like that. Uh, my father worked for uh, General Motors at the time, and we just ended up going to wherever they needed them the most, somewhere in the world. So if you could take a vacation anywhere in the world for your next vacation, where would it be? So our favorite place on the planet is Hawaii, and we've been there quite a bit. Uh, but I think but the, the one thing that I haven't done that I really, really want to do is go on a safari in uh, Kenya. So that that would be the one. Um, I'm there with you. I've got a little one that loves giraffes. I can't imagine if he uh, was was surrounded by <laughs> giraffes. So how old did you say your kids were? My son is 20s and he's studying actuarial science. And my daughter is 18 and she is going into data science, first year data science this year. So, so I was going to ask you if they're if they're doing anything with analytics. I think you've uh, <laughs> nailed it on both counts. That's right. That's right. That, that's awesome. Well, hey, Terry, thank you very much for spending time with us today. Um, it was great getting to know you, and I look forward to hopefully spending more time with you in the future. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Alan. Thanks for tuning in to Alter Everything. 
continue the fun and share your thoughts on Twitter using hashtag alter everything podcast or leave us a review on your favorite podcast app. You can also subscribe on the Alteryx community at community.alteryx.com slash podcast. And hey, while you're there, go ahead and fill out our audience engagement survey. The first 100 people to leave their feedback will be entered to win one of five pairs of Bluetooth headphones. You can also join us in person at Inspire London this October. Use the promo code INSPIREPODCAST, all one word, for 15% off your Inspire registration. Hope to see you there.